If you studied the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll know that Paul was writing to correct a series of bad behaviors that were finding their way into the local church there. And you might think with relief that their problems are not in your church. But just wait. It may be that their problems were there because they had a lot of life to put under control, and your lack of problems is because you have so little life to put into order. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, The Bread of Life. If you're looking for a place to give to that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, I'd like you to consider Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, Paul is correcting the uncontrolled enthusiasms of the local church. When they had gathered to meet, they were coming as individuals whose personal experiences were more important in their minds than anyone else's. And so Paul writes, quote, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done, Paul says, for edification. We'll start here and discover that in Corinth, their problems rose as the result of a good thing. It rose from spiritual life. Let all things be done for edification. The idea here is that each person was arriving with such an enthusiasm of spirit that they weren't able to control themselves. They were coming through the doors, and one person had a song that had been put upon their heart, and they just wanted to sing it. And another person had some great insight that they thought God was teaching them, and they felt everyone else had to learn it at that very moment, in that instant. Another person was bubbling over with some revelation of God's truth that they felt God had put to their hearts and they couldn't hold it back from sharing it with somebody. Another person came with some ecstasy of tongue that he had experienced in his own prayer chamber and he felt that it was something he had to express before everybody else. Another individual had the gift of interpretation. He thought, I need to exercise this gift and interpret this tongue right now and it was all happening at once. And there was chaos and there was confusion And Paul comes along and is trying to rein them in and trying to draw in all of this enthusiasm. And much of it was pride. Pride in what God was doing in their life. God does something great in our life. God does a great work. God gives us great revelation. And it humbles us initially. And then we become kind of proud about it. Then we want people to know about it. They were like that. And a lot of it was carnality. They thought that these were the expressions, the exuberant expressions of showing that they were excelling in these things. Paul comes along and he's trying to stifle this. He's trying to tone it down and they accuse in their hearts that he's quenching the Spirit. He's going against the Spirit of God. Paul basically says, look, the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us are subject to our own self-control. So control yourselves. Do everything together, deferring to one another with decorum, beautifully thoughtfully. That's the idea. Now, I've said that it's been easy to pick on the church at 1 Corinthians, but wouldn't you like it if this were a common problem in our churches? That people were so impressed by the truths they were learning, by the things that God was placing upon them, the gifts that He was giving them, their excitement out of the revelations that are being brought by the Holy Spirit to the heart that they felt they could hardly control it and they were going to explode if they didn't go and share it with somebody. That when they gathered together, they were so eager to minister and share what God was doing that they forgot that they were in the process of doing and not really ministering. 
That would be actually a good problem. I think about it. It's much easier to tone down a living body than to raise up a dead one, right? And so, I think a lot of our churches will read a passage like this and we'll pat ourselves on the back. We'll say, well, we're not like those Corinthians. It's nothing like that in our churches. But it may not be because of life. It may be because of listlessness. It may be because of death. Oh, eh. This is one place where Paul still needs to address this issue. But in a sense, you have to think that Paul, to some extent, appreciates the liveliness here. All of us parents have had to, and we struggle here, keeping our kids still in church. If there was a kid who could have been diagnosed with hyperactivity disorders, it would have been me. Of course, my mother was able to nail me to the pew with a look, right? But, but you know, it's a sign of life. As much as it's a little bit of a challenge for parents, it's good. It's a sign of life that our kids have that energy and that impulse within them. We were just talking today as we watched one of the kids come running in through the church here. If we followed that kid for an hour, we would be exhausted. We couldn't do it. But it's life and it's a good thing. And so Paul is dealing with, there's challenges here, but there are challenges that are rising up in this church because in spite of all these things, and he said this at the very beginning of his book when he wrote to them, they have life in them. The Spirit of God is at work among them. He's doing things. There's abuses. But God is at work. God, be at work in our lives as well. Make us so excited by what you're doing in our lives that sometimes we're hard to manage, right? But ultimately get a hold of our lives. Work and direct in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 talks about these gifts. It says in verses 12 and 13, that the outcome that God works towards in these gifts are this. These gifts are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. In short, he's saying, so that we can mature and become more and more like the Lord Jesus. That's what the gifts are for. And the chief gift to move us into this growth and into this fullness of the life of Jesus Christ is a gift, is the gift of prophecy that we're going to address today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a series of questions. I'm going to give you the answer right off the bat, and then I'm going to explain or prove the answer. The first question is simply this. What is the prophetic ministry? What is the prophetic ministry? This is the answer. It is the proclamation of truth that is fulfilled and comes to its completeness in the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophetic ministry is the proclamation of truth that is fulfilled and comes to its completeness in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when Paul was speaking of this prophetic gift, he wasn't simply referring to the ability to foretell the future. He is speaking about a God-endowed ability to foretell the truth. That message of prophecy then, in that way, could refer to the future it could reference the past, it could speak to the present, but the subject of all of the message is truth, truth that in particular and above all else is found and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you set forward truth where Christ is the object and the message above all things, in every situation you apply that truth to what's to take place in the future, what's taken place in the past, what God is doing in the present, you're treading upon the ground, you might say, of prophetic ministry. All that the writings of Scripture entail really are a reflection of the prophetic word. 
There is some way in which we differentiate it. We speak of the major prophets and the minor prophets, and we break the scriptures up into historical books and the Torah, the five first books and the Psalms, the poetic books, but ultimately all of it. Read it. It's all prophetic. It is all pointing towards the Lord Jesus. Jesus said that himself. In John chapter 5, verse 39, the Pharisees are contending with him. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. That's the focus and point of the prophetic word. In Luke chapter 24, after he had risen from the grave and he was walking among his doubting disciples, he spoke to them explaining what had just taken place in his death and his burial and his resurrection and also setting the groundwork for what it was he was to command them to do. And in verses 44 and 45 of Luke chapter 24, which we read often, in, these are the words Christ said which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's the sum of the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. Why comprehend it? Concerning me. It's about him. Now the disciples learned that lesson and they understood it. And so on the very first day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to the multitude that was gathered there, he preached Christ from the Word. He went throughout the Word and he began to prove Christ and what Christ was doing. Later, Peter is in the home of Cornelius. It's in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius has been given a vision and he's been told to go to Peter and find him and bring him to his home because Peter would tell him the way that he was to go or what he was to do. In the meantime, God prepares Peter for this invitation for Cornelius because Peter is a faithful Jew. He's learned not to fellowship with Gentiles and God gives Peter a vision in which a sheet full of what were unclean food for the Jews was lowered before him and God said to him, eat it all. In other words, it's all clean. Basically, there's nothing keeping you from fellowshipping with Gentiles. And just then a knock comes at his door and messengers from Cornelius' house have come and asked him to come and travel with him. Peter goes, he brings with him other Jews along with him that are bringing the message of Jesus Christ. And Peter preaches the Lord Jesus Christ to them. Look at what it says in verses 38 through 43. As he begins to open before Cornelius and all their gatherers home, God's word, Peter kind of sums up his message this way. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised on the third day and showed him openly not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. That's it. The word of prophecy is ultimately truth explained and truth revealed that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. All of Scripture, every prophet that God raised up in the Old Testament who spoke the truth was pointing his finger towards Jesus Christ, whether he knew it or not. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament age prophets in that he was the last prophet to come and point his finger ahead to Christ and say, He is coming, He is coming. There is one coming after me. 
There's one coming after me, John would say. Prepare yourself for him. John the Baptist then moved from being the prophet from the Old Testament age to a New Testament prophet. To take the ground of New Testament prophecy, he was the last to point and say he is coming. And then, after that, he changed to point his finger backwards and say he has come. He pointed at Christ and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's the spirit of prophecy today. What we do is, those who are called to carry forth a prophetic ministry, as we point to Christ through His Word and say, Look, the Lamb of God, He is here, He is among us, He's come. There is a spirit of prophetic ministry at every point at which you give witness to Jesus Christ. And just like a person exercises the ministry of faith, we say there are certain individuals in our church that have a wonderful gift of faith, and we don't say to ourselves, well, since they have a gift of faith, we don't have to have the gift of faith. No, we are inspired by that ministry to rise and follow an example and receive and let God pour out even from their faith a measure of faith into our hearts to exercise faith as well. In a sense, the prophetic ministry, in the sense of putting forth truth that exalts Jesus Christ, places upon us, we're not prophets, but we have a prophetic role in the world in which we live. We have a prophetic message. It's look for Christ because He's here. He's come and He's the answer to everything. That's prophetic. That's the prophetic word. Thanks for listening to the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.